Amen, church. Yeah, go ahead and take a quick seat. Worship team, thank you. And thank you for being here this morning, church. My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor. And we want to say a big welcome to you. And if you are tuning in online, we want to say welcome to you as well on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, And if this is your first time, you're a guest, a visitor, a friend invited you, either here or online, you've stumbled upon us um, for some reason, we want to say thank you for being with us. We also want to know that you're here. And so you can fill out a communication card. There is one on the Church Center app, which if you don't have, we would encourage you to have download uh, our church center app, uh, which can get you the information you need. And then if you're online, there is comments in the comment section and a link there that you can fill out a communication card. Let us know that you're here so that we can have a record of your attendance and get you information that you need. Church, it's good to be in God's house this morning, isn't it? Amen. It's a beautiful day, and it's a beautiful day to be here worshiping the Lord together what a privilege, what an honor that we get to come together as a church. And, and again, it may not be ideal, but this is amazing that we get to do this. Um, thank you to, to all those who held signs this morning, who welcomed people. Um, thank, you for, uh, thank you for registering early. We know that's not ideal. We ask that you continue to do that so that we can make sure we have enough seats for you. We don't want to turn people away at the door. Um, we want to make sure there's something here for you. But thank you again for being here. I've got a couple quick announcements. And the first one is about our student ministry. I don't know if you know this, but trying to put out a schedule and figure out things to do with 6th to 12th graders during this time is difficult. Um, and so we've, we've talked a lot about it, and we've planned and had to take those plans back, and we've tried, and the guidelines have changed, and we've gone over and over. Um, but we, we sent out an email a couple of days ago with, with like a tentative schedule for the summer. If you did not receive that email, but you want to be on that email list, let me know today or email tyler at newtownroad.org. I would love to add you to that list, especially if your family's between and, and have a student between the, the grades of 6 and 12. We want you to make sure that you know what's happening. Our first uh, socially distanced outside uh, middle school event is happening this Tuesday night here for rising 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So if you would like to come, hang out, uh, bring a mask, we'll sit out sort of like the lawn service was. Uh, we'll maybe have some games and some things uh, for us to do. We're going to hang out. You get to meet some of your leaders and connect together with some of your friends. That's Tuesday night at 6.30. And then there are some other things that are planned. We want you to know about those. So if you don't get that email, let us know. Uh, Also, just a reminder about the kids' boxes. If you have a kid in elementary, preschool, and want one of those, the box of fun for the summer, or want one for your friends, register for those on the Church Center app, or let uh, Miss Heather know, and we will get you one of those boxes as soon as we can. If you are uh, looking to give, church, you've been so faithful with your tithes and your offerings, we want to say thank you for that. Um, There are boxes in the back as you exit this morning. You can drop your tithes and your offerings in that box or continue to give online like you have been doing so faithfully. We appreciate that so much. And now this morning I'm going to introduce Pastor Matt uh, up here. Isn't it it cool to have a pastor like Pastor Matt? Can we just... 
I, I could introduce you every week in like some fun, or let me, um, <laughs> like a Chuck Norris style introduction, you know, Chick-fil-A opens on Sunday for Pastor Matt, yes. Oh my goodness. I, you know, Tyler, I've known you since you were 12, I'm pretty sure I could come up with some good ways to introduce you as well. Let me think about that. It's so good to see all of your smiling eyes, not your faces. I realized recently how difficult it is to read people's emotions when you can't see from their nose down, right? Because some of your smiling eyes look an awful lot like your angry eyes. And I don't know if I'm making you happy or mad, but I just want to get away. And so it is good to see all of your smiling faces without your masks right now. Like Tyler said, thank you for, to all of you who make this happen. It takes a small army to pull this off on a weekly basis, and you make me proud to be your pastor. It's so great to see a new team of people holding signs and welcoming and greeting, and, and it's just a, a joy. So it doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you for serving Jesus by serving his church. This morning, we're going to close down our, our quick series on, on the essential church. When we, when we came back together, um, we hit pause on our series in Mark, and we wanted to, to spend a little bit of time just talking about the church, what it is, what, what the members of the church are like and what they do, and today we're going to talk about the mission of the church. And maybe you remember that we, we talked about the essential unity of the church in that first week, that we're like a family, we're like a body, that, that there's, there's a unity that the Spirit brings to the gathered assembly of God's people that all the dividing markers of this world can't touch. And if you, if you survey the world, they'll, they'll, they'll categorize you. They'll put you into all kinds of different demographics. But the reality of the gospel is that all of those things pale in comparison to the unifying power of the gospel. That through the Spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And Paul says there's no distinction, not male or female, barbarian, Scythian, all are one in Christ. And so the essential unity of the church is on display in the gathered assembly in a local congregation. And last week we talked about the essential members of the church, that every part of the church has a specific uh, gift and a part to play, a role to play. And that when each of those gifts is employed in, the, in God's service to build up the church, the church is strengthened, the church is grown. It, it, Paul says it's built up together in love. And we talked about how each one of us who's been united in Christ has a spiritual manifestation, a gift that God has given, at least one, sometimes many more, to serve the church. Today, then, we're going to talk about the essential mission of the church. Because if we, if we really believe that God has rescued us from sin and hell, has united us together under the banner of the love of Jesus, has fitly joined the church together, then we should not at all be surprised to know that he's also given us a job to do. And, and it should further not surprise us that that job is an essential job. So today we're looking at the essential mission of the church. In Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to start this morning. Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is, uh, has appeared to the disciples again. We're going to start in verse 16. And this is, these are some really popular verses. You've heard these a time or two. Many of you have them committed to memory. Here's what Matthew uh, records for us as Jesus addresses his disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's offer a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we know that it's powerful. We know that we can be built up and edified and strengthened by it, convicted and laid bare sometimes as well. We just ask that today that your spirit would be clearly heard uh, through the pages of your, your word, through the words that I offer. I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The Great Commission. That's the passage we just, it's probably even marked in your Bible, the Great Commission. We, we've, we've heard sermons on that. We've memorized it. We've talked a lot about it. But guys, that is the essential mission of the church spelled out in, in as succinct a way as we can. The mission is stated in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And that mission begins with this statement of God's authority in Jesus. Okay, now, now we understand that God, as, as the supreme creator of the universe, as the ruling and reigning authority of all the universe, we realize that he holds the power. That, that by nature of his, his eternal and divine essence, Nothing is like him, that he is above, he presides above all else. So all authority, we are told, is his. And Jesus says, it's been given to me. That, that God has, has vested his authority in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternally God himself. And we've already seen through our study in Mark, and we're jumping back in next week, just how clearly Jesus has demonstrated already that he possesses all that authority. If you remember, he taught with authority. He even confused the Pharisees and the scribes. He calmed the storms of the sea, demonstrating his power, his authority over creation. He speaks to men, and they leave their families and their careers and follow him. He has power over humanity. He liberates and restores those who were demon-possessed. He's got power and authority over the spiritual realm. He heals those who are sick. He's got authority over the physical realm. He raises the dead to life. He's got authority over death itself. He rose himself from the grave, and now he addresses his disciples. Guys, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a political influencer. He's not just a reformer. He is God in flesh, and he's demonstrated with precision and clarity that he possesses in and of himself all authority in heaven and on earth. And so he says, all authority has been given to me. Now you go. Go, therefore. Well, why? Well, because he has all authority, he's issuing a directive. They're going to have to listen. He's fully in charge. You should pay attention to people like that. You should listen to them. If you work for a company in a local office and all of a sudden the CEO of the company shows up, you listen to him. If he says, it's not time to take your break now, you don't take your break now. If he says, come over here, you come over there. If he's got all the authority, you pay attention. Jesus says, all of it's been given to me. Now you go. But not only as a statement of his authority in motivating them to go, as a statement of the fact that he is now also sharing that authority with them. That the same things that he has done, they will do. In fact, he's told us that greater works than these you'll see. 
Okay, so all authority has been given to Jesus. He is giving it to them, and he is going to continue his work through them. The greater works even. And he says, here it is. Here's what you need to do. Now go and make disciples. The word disciple in Greek means follower or learner. This is the heart of the mission of the people of God. To see the gospel message that they have believed that has changed their lives. We want to see that message reach people and make them followers of Jesus just like us. Because we have discovered, found, some of us were dragged kicking and screaming into a new relationship with God through Jesus. And we have found in him all that our hearts could desire. We are satisfied in him. He's revealed wisdom to us and righteousness. He's adopted us into his family. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's cleansed our conscience. He's given us purpose and life. He's united us with a church family. We want other people to see and experience what we have seen and experienced. Not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of like coercion, out of joy. We want people to find in Christ what we have found in Christ. He says, go and make disciples. Make followers of me. Go reproduce yourself. It's almost like God had this plan. Maybe from the beginning even, to to fill the earth with a group of people who would worship him. And in fact, if you go back to Genesis, that's exactly what he was trying to do. That was his model. Go, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. Before the fall, before sin, fill the earth with a race of people who will serve me and follow me and love me. But sin broke that. And then God makes a new covenant. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus. And the new plan is really the old plan. I want to fill this place, he says, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation who will love me and serve me and worship me. It's the same storyline from the beginning. And he says, I want you to make disciples, make followers of me from all nations, people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every ethnicity, every language group. All people are to be reached with the gospel message because God is clearly no respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't struggle to honor some and dishonor others. He is a, an equal opportunity God. He treats people with respect and dignity. And he demands that his people would do the same. He wants, a, he wants his church to be diverse. His desire is that the church would be made up of people of every tribe, of every tongue, and every nation so that the essence of the gospel would be on display, that there is a unity here that can't be reached anywhere else. Then he says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them, immersing them in water as a testimony to their identity in Jesus as a testimony to their baptism into the Spirit. A good reminder here that baptism does not earn your entrance into the family of God. Baptism is an indicator 
that you've been adopted into the family of God. Make disciples and baptize them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it's a good reminder here as well that the objective hasn't yet been reached at the point that somebody believes. Jesus actually tells us there's more involved. I want you to make followers. I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them. Bring them to places of maturity. Grow them. So so the heart of mission, the heart of the mission of the church, the heart of the people of God, is to see others find in Jesus what we found and then bring them along. Grow them. Not just get them into the family and leave them alone. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would look like in your house? Like if my wife had number four, right, and she brings Evie home, and we're like, all right, good. Well, because there's so many others here, we've got lots of other work to do, and just we set her on the floor and let her raise herself. She kind of, she's number four. She kind of raises herself anyway. But still, like, can you imagine how silly that would be? We, if you see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ as part of your involvement in their lives, my friends, you have a responsibility to help them grow. To bring them along. Not because I said so, but because Jesus said so. Teach them. And what are we to teach them? We're to teach them to obey all that he's commanded them. Teach them to observe the things that you're doing. Teach them. Show them. Share with them how the Lord is working in your life. Model for them what maturity in the Lord looks like. Engage with them as, as they try to navigate the waters of walking with Jesus in this world. As we see people come to faith, we have a responsibility to not leave them alone and abandon them in their spiritual infancy. Because just like, like human children in their infancy are vulnerable, spiritual infants are vulnerable. The cults prey on spiritual infants. They need roots. They need growth. They need to be brought along in the faith. And that's not something that we do necessarily with a program. That's not something you do with a 101, 201, 301 class. That's not something you give a book for. To grow in the Lord and in Christian character requires both the book and the heart. So show them, connect with them, love them, work with them. And then he says this, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a good reminder here, because you might get a little nervous and feel overwhelmed by what's being asked of us. We are being told to go into the whole world and make disciples. That's a challenging task. It's a little bit overwhelming. We might read that passage today in in 2020, knowing the cultural climate of our nation, and realize, wow, if I were to be faithful and obedient here, that would be really hard. I don't know if I even know how to do that. I'm not sure I even understand what's required of me. He says, listen, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to be with you. The task is so great, you can't do it on your own. But the good news is you're not alone. You're not on your own. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The mission is clear. 
Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them, teach them, grow them, and remember that he's with us. Okay, that's what, that's what the mission. The mission was given almost 2,000 years ago. Thankfully, thankfully, there's a little bit of clarity throughout the New Testament. Because that statement is really great, but it, it doesn't really give a lot of detail into how that's going to happen. We're just, go do it. O- okay. But without the, without the instructions, without understanding how we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, we, it might, might get a little bit confusing. Well, through, through the providence of God, he's moved in, in previous generations and recorded it for us through the New Testament. And we've seen the way this works. Second point this morning is just the mission clarified. Go, go to the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1. I don't know if you know this or not, but the disciples were gathered together with the risen Jesus, and they were asking him, God, is it now time for you to restore the kingdom? Because they didn't quite understand what time they were in. They thought with the resurrection of Jesus, he was going to come restore the kingdom of Israel right there, throw off Roman rule, we're ready to go. The prophecies are fulfilled. And they said, is it now? And he said, listen, you don't, you don't need to worry about the times or the dates. Don't get caught up in that. He said, but, but this is what he said in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One second. I didn't want to cough in your ear. Question about COVID. I wonder if that could translate as well. All the people at home, I'm sorry. I hope you're wearing your masks. Um. Here's what he says, as the mission is clarified. The mission of the church is empowered by the Spirit. In what way is Jesus going to be with them to the end of the age? He's with them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So now we get some clarity. Because he actually leaves now. He told them he's going to be with them always to the end of the age, and then he leaves. They watch him rise up to heaven. Like, wait a minute, hold on. You said you were staying that was only a few days ago. What just went on? Like, get back here. He says, look, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. This is vitally important. Even though he's not physically present with them anymore, he is still present through the ministry of the Spirit and through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And in that way, they are continuing the ministry of Jesus. And he says, you will be my witnesses. The primary calling is to be a witness That is the way that we make new disciples. By bearing witness to the the truth and validity of the gospel. By bearing witness to the identity of Jesus. We bear testimony to who we have known him to be and what we've seen him do. So we meet people. We begin these new relationships. We find ourselves in a conversation with a relative stranger And we begin to share with them not only the plan of God for redeeming humanity, but also the way that God has worked in our lives. We give a testimony that this isn't just something that we found in a book. Because textbooks don't inspire us. Not many of us. I I read textbooks a lot, actually. I, I I read a lot of books that my friends, like, use for college classes and stuff. Because I like weird stuff. But very few people are like me. 
right? I, I'm inspired by history textbooks. I think they're great. Not everyone is. What is really inspiring is a story, though, of the way God has worked in your life. What is inspiring, what is connecting and motivational is to share with somebody who you used to be until you met Jesus and who you are now. To talk to them about how God in his grace and mercy softened and changed your angry heart. How he took from you addiction and replaced it with peace and comfort in Christ. How he restored your marriage and your relationship because you were actively trying to destroy it. What does motivate people is to hear how you experienced Jesus in your life as you bear witness to who he's been to you. And you bear a testimony and share with them how they might find him too. The mission was clarified there. Okay, you're supposed to go make disciples. You do that in the power of the Spirit by bearing witness, by sharing with people what you have found in Jesus. And then the mission advances. Third point this morning, just a a survey of Acts and beyond. Thankfully, we don't have to sit around and wonder how our spiritual ancestors handled this mission. We can survey the early history of the church and we can see exactly what they did with the commission that they were given. Jesus commands them, clarifies for them their work, and then what do we see happening? We see the church being founded and growing and turning the world upside down. And how did they do it? It should be noted that the success and growth of the early church was not directly attributed to some stroke of genius with strategy. It was not, it was not a, an objective and a plan on the part of the disciples that served the success of the church. That was the unfolding wisdom of God as he, through the powerful work of the Spirit, established the church and empowered the disciples to be faithful to his mission. So early in the book of Acts, the disciples are meeting together and the Holy Spirit arrives, filling each of them. And the day of Pentecost serves as the birth of the church as we know it. Remember, Peter stands up in the middle of what was a bit of a confusing scene. People from all different nationalities are being able to hear the words in their own languages. They think they might be drunk. They're not sure what's happening. It is a little bit chaotic. If we were gathered today and you were exhibiting behavior that caused me to say, Hey, Pastor Duke, I think they might be drunk. That is not exactly a reasonable scene, right? That is, that is chaos, In the middle of that, empowered by the Spirit, Peter does what? He bears witness to the identity of Jesus. He tells the crowd how this day is a fulfillment of prophecy and then explains that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, that he was killed, but God raised him up. And in verse 32, he says, of that we are all what? Witnesses. He bears witness to the fact that Jesus was killed and is now alive and he has seen him with his own eyes. He preaches, bearing witness. And the result? They were cut to the heart. They repented of sin. They believed in this Jesus and they were baptized. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And what did these new believers do? I'm so glad you asked. They committed themselves to one another. 
And they began to meet regularly to receive the teaching of the apostles, just like Jesus told them to do. They were teaching these new disciples all the things Jesus had taught them. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And as followers of Jesus, part of their discipleship is a commitment to the other followers, to the fellowship. And they would gather together, and they would pray together, and they would share meals together, and they would care for each other. Because each of those things is what growing in the Lord looks like. It's not something separate from discipleship. It's part of growing together in the Lord. Following his promptings, being built up and strengthened, serving the church. And what happens? As they do that daily, the Lord adds to their number those who are being saved. As the disciples in Jerusalem continue in these practices, God opens more and more doors for them to bear witness. People are healed. The apostles get called before the authorities. They get beaten, but they refuse to stop preaching about who Jesus is and what he's done. The church was growing in strength and unity, the apostles in popularity and in notoriety. And then the climate changed. Not like Al Gore's climate change, but the real, like the cultural climate changes. Persecution rains down and the church has to scatter. And what looked like the end of the new church was actually a tool to carry the message even farther beyond the limits of Jerusalem. And the apostles moved into new areas and proclaimed Christ. And people were saved and their eyes were opened to the identity of Jesus. And they were gathered together with other groups of disciples. And they would care for each other and grow together and bear witness to their neighbors and their family members of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And through the faithfulness of his followers, religious Jews were saved and pagan sorcerers were saved and Roman jailers were saved and influential businesswomen were saved and churches were established and miracles of healing occurred and God grew the church. Not because of a stroke of strategic genius on the part of the disciples because they were faithful to the mission empowered by the spirit they went wherever God sent them and they told the people there about Jesus we make this so complicated we make it so hard we're so good at it too like here's the mission here it is in its simplicity let's create a policy about it with 17 steps and 43 sub-steps, and we'll create directors and coaches and director coaches, and now, if you want to be a disciple, you just fill out this form and enter this process and take 17 steps and maybe you'll get a Bible. What? The mission of the church is so essential. There are big corporate program pieces that will come, for sure. But the essence of the mission of the church is the mission of me to reach somebody with the gospel and share with them what I've known. All through the ordinary faithfulness of people like you and me. People who were mostly nameless throughout the course of the church history. And here we are 2,000 years later and we can each, if we could find like, you know, that DNA in me or whatever, 23 in me, whatever that is, we could trace our spiritual ancestry all the way to those early days. To the ordinary faithful members of the ordinary early church who followed Jesus, who made disciples, who taught them to obey, and who made more disciples. All right, so what? What does all that mean for us today? The mission of the church has not changed in 2,000 years. It's still the same. He, Jesus hasn't granted us permission to veer off course. We're not allowed to change it. We need his approval for that. It's his church. He purchased it. He redeems it. 
He's the lead pastor of our church. He's in charge. He gets to decide what we do. He hasn't changed his course. So we're not changing ours. The mission is to go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them. As the church commits simply to that central mission, the Lord sustains and grows and builds it. Now look, now look there, there's a lot that comes with a calling to make disciples, and we, we should be cautious here because traditionally we think of this in terms of a course of study or a series of progressively deeper classes. We think of it in terms of only a, a transfer of data, but there's much more to it than just that textbook, which does require some of the effort. See, the process of coming to faith in the Lord and growing is broad and it's rich and it's varied, and the truth is that the calling should be the centerpiece, that discipleship should be the centerpiece of all that the church does. And it is. You see, when a church serves, in our, serves the needy folks in our communities, we're given opportunities to love them and to bear witness to how Jesus loves us. When we give of our tithes and offerings, we're obeying the things that the Lord taught us. We're growing in the grace of giving. And even that becomes a step or a tool of discipleship. The relationships that we build allow for life-on-life ministry where we're not just forming theological convictions, but Christ-like character in our lives as well. And in that, our friendships and our fellowship is an expression of discipleship. When we serve in our kids' ministry, we're not just watching kids so mom and dad can attend a service, but we're bearing witness to our littlest ones, telling them who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And we're teaching them and training them and, and we're encouraging them to walk in obedience to his commands. We are both discipling and being discipled as we grow. When we gather for prayer-specific events, we are walking in the footsteps of our spiritual ancestors, and we're obeying Jesus and are growing in our understanding of what it means to pray. You see, if the activities and the rhythms of the church are centered upon that mission of making disciples, of helping people to know Jesus as their Savior and grow in him as Lord, then we can rest confidently that we will see Jesus sustain his church. If we join him in the work that he's already promised to sustain, we can anticipate his power to sustain. That he'll open new doors of opportunity that he'll lead us and provide, that people will be saved, that we'll grow in our knowledge of him and in our affection for him. Our focus must be on seeing people come to saving faith and growing in the Lord Jesus. And thirdly today, that mission is not hindered with the current situation. A public health crisis cannot stop the mission of the church. You have to remember that. Even as the gatherings of the church have been affected, even as some of our weekly programs and yearly events have been affected, the calling to make disciples hasn't been relinquished. It's still there. Looking back over the course of church history, because we're often plagued by a recency bias, the mission of the church has been sustained through political upheaval, through war, through famine, through plagues, through great seasons of persecution, and through times of cultural revolution. And the church still stands. We're still here. Jesus still saves sinners through the power of the gospel. The essential mission of the church to see more people know Jesus and to see more people follow him is being supported and sustained by Jesus himself. And until he determines that we are finished, the work must continue. 
And until he determines that we're done, the work will continue. And we'll continue to see the evidence of the gospel's truth and validity in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. But how? It's a good question. I'd say this, start at home. Start at home. Start with the people who are closest to you. Start discipling there. Discipling, Matt, you don't understand. I, I haven't really grown in the Lord that much. I don't really, I, is there a book I need? Is there, is, okay, we're, now we're, we're back into the progressively deeper curriculum, right? No, I would, I would start with an open Bible and talk about what God has done. Start there. Disciple your children. Start with your spouse and begin to share with one another what God is teaching you. Start with your family, the people closest to you, and just start talking about what God is doing. Start with your neighbors, right? Start at the, the most central people in your life and slowly work out from there. I would not say start with the people across the world in Kenya. That's a, that's a really tough first step to take. I would start with your son, with your daughter, with your husband, with your wife. Begin there to share with, what, share with them what God's doing and begin to grow and edify and encourage each other. And then pray for opportunities that God would open the door. For coworkers, for friends, for random strangers in Hannaford, wherever you find yourself, pray that God would open a door to, for you to encourage somebody with what he's doing. But follow his prompting. The Spirit said that he'll empower. Follow his prompting. So if he prompts you to visit a neighbor, go. If he prompts you to serve somebody in need, then serve them. If he prompts you to pray for the person that he brings to mind, then stop where you are and pray. If he prompts you to speak up, then speak. His spirit empowers the mission. He's in charge. Follow his lead and trust that the results are up to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your time, for a time today in your word. Thank you for all that you teach us. Thank you for this mission of discipleship that you've given us. What a joy it is to partner with you in the gospel and to see people's lives changed by the power of that message. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen our church family for that, for that central mission, that we would not get distracted, that we would not get discouraged. God, that we would not veer off course, but even in the face of a pandemic, God, help us to walk in obedience to this mission to see our neighbors and our loved ones, our friends and our family grow in you. Lord, I pray that you'd apply your spirit's power and that we would see that fruit in our lives. God, forgive us for the ways we complicate this too much. Lord, it seems as though you're stripping away a lot of the complications anymore. Help us to return to the simplicity of the message, the simplicity of bearing witness, the simplicity of telling somebody who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And we ask, God, that you'd give us strength. Open wide the doors of opportunity for us, even this week. Here in the Capital District and around the world, open wide the doors of opportunity that we might be faithful and bear witness to who you are and to what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining with us today. If you're on the live stream, we have to leave you now. Uh, thank you for being part of our services today. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday, 9 and 11. Um, be sure to watch our social media feeds and we'll post any updates or information that you need right there. And for now, let's go ahead and stand and we'll continue to sing this morning.